This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, most of the news we've had from the United States in recent times has been grim, I suppose is the word, and fraught with the dangers of isolationism, of Trump and indeed Ron DeSantis. Bad news, all of them really, and, and for people worrying about the world and the future particularly bad news on climate change, for example. But yesterday there was very good news. Last night, the Senate passed the bill that will ensure that there is a deal on the debt ceiling. It's a deal that looked doubtful and had to be closed by this coming Monday. Otherwise, America would have defaulted and the world would have been economically hit catastrophically. So it's a very good news. And we're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich, associate editor of the Hill newspaper, a very respected newspaper for being not so partisan as other media outlets in America. And Niall is White House columnist also for the Hill. Just before we get to the debt ceiling, Niall, Joe Biden stumbled and fell very publicly last night after making a speech what can you tell us about what happened and how he is? Well, he appears to be fine, but it was a very embarrassing moment yes. and a moment that would be clearly used against him politically. He was uh, making a speech at a, um, a, an armed services uh, ceremony and he turned from the podium and tripped. Now, he says he tripped over a sandbag that was seemingly there to hold down either a teleprompter or some sort of equipment, uh, but... The point, I suppose, is we've all we've all tripped, uh, you know, and uh, everyone can fall sometime. But the problem is not all of us are eighty-year-old men running to be reelected yes. as president of the United States, and Joe Biden running in that regard with you know polling that shows significant public concern about his age. Um, there was an ABC Washington Post poll, Eamon, just earlier this month, saying that sixty-eight percent of Americans were uh, didn't really think he was uh, good and you know prepared to serve a second yes. term. He was well enough to serve a second term. Yes, I mean, and, and yet this deal that Kevin McCarthy, as Speaker of the House of Representatives, the Republican, our Kevin, or my Kevin, as Donald Trump once described him, and Biden, it does testify to Joe Biden's abilities as a dealmaker, which was well known over four decades he spent 
in the Senate, and indeed it was probably the reason Barack Obama made him vice president. He is a great dealmaker and knows how to work the system. Yeah, and that has been traditionally a big strength of his. And you mentioned the Obama presidency. Yes. During that time, then Vice President Biden was really Obama's emissary to Capitol Hill. Yes. Obama, of course, had been a senator, but very briefly before he started running for president. So he didn't really have the deep connections there. Nor is Obama, by personality or temperament, the kind of backslapping old-school politician that Biden is. That has pluses and minuses to it. But your point is well made, I think, that Biden is very um, embedded in that culture of Capitol Hill uh, over the decades that he served as a senator, and that that sort of enables him to have a certain facility with the kind of horse trading that goes on and with understanding what people want or what people need from certain deals. And that appears to have stood him in fairly good stead here, even though there is some criticism from the left of his party, just as there's some criticism of uh, Kevin McCarthy from the right of the Republican Party. Now, for Kevin McCarthy, we in this podcast have occasionally been scathing, and we've asked for his Irish relatives to make themselves known, <laughs> <laughs> and they've resisted the temptation. They might now be able to put their heads up above the parapet because he has delivered something very substantial, in fact, something vital, and something that people doubted that he could deliver. So an upgrade for our Kevin? Certainly a big victory for him, for sure. I mean, the right-wing rebellion against this deal did not reach the scale that some people had envisioned. In the House of Representatives itself, there were more than 300 votes for this and a bit over 100 against, um, 71 Republicans against, 46 Democrats against. If you had said at the outset of this that that would be the result, McCarthy, I think, would have been more than happy with that. Um, you know, there was significant fear that the right of the Republican Party would capsize the whole deal and that didn't happen, even though some of them were outspoken critics of it. What basically happened was you had the far left of the Democratic Party splinter off and the far right of the Republican Party splinter off, and Biden and McCarthy were able to drive this deal um, up the middle. Um, incidentally, I mean, you had mentioned before about our Kevin and his Irish roots, and I had been unable to tell you where, he, where those roots exactly lay. His great-grandfather was born in Cork. Apparently, right. So that figures victory for the second set. <laughs> oh, that figures. Cork. <laughs> they're cute. I mean, I love them. They're very, they're great people, but they're cute. They're cuter than you guys in Belfast. I can tell you. <laughs> and they, they'd wipe the floor with with Dubliners and half frequently. I must say, I lived for in Cork for two years, West Cork, and it's the most beautiful place. And they're marvelous people, but they're smart enough. Yeah. Now, just to get back to more serious matters. We know it's, what, 16 or 17 months until the 2024 presidential election in the United States. But the action has started particularly in, well, almost exclusively among Republicans. And Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's deemed to be in with a chance of taking on Trump, he has been on tour this week. And Trump, of course, seems to be permanently on tour. He also has been out seeking support. So the Republican race is on, isn't it? 
Very much so. Yeah. I mean, the, the field is not completely set, but definitely getting there. Ron DeSantis was the entrant to that race that everyone had been waiting for because he is Trump's most serious challenger, according to the opinion polls. Now, as you and I have discussed before, I mean, Trump has a very significant lead. And in fact, his lead over DeSantis in the polls has increased uh, in the past couple of months to a very substantial margin indeed, around 30 points in national polls. But DeSantis is um, a serious figure in the Republican Party. His um, politics by Irish standards would be very, very right-wing indeed, and he takes a certain uh, glee in involving himself in some of the most combustible issues in this country. But he's in, and he's certainly at this stage the most serious rival to the Donald. And reading some notes that you sent me, Niall, he isn't a good stump performer. Mm. He, he's rather wooden in, in many ways. And whilst there isn't a lack of purpose, there is a lack of personality, and he's not sort of people-friendly, as it were, it seems. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, there is a certain set of skills that helps you on the campaign trail, a kind of glad-handing Bill Clinton for all his other faults, and I don't think you or I are his biggest fan, but he was particularly good at that kind of campaign trail stuff. Folksy, uh, is, is folksy the word? Folksy would be a, a good word for it. I mean, Obama wasn't particularly great at no. it. He was a great podium speaker, but he was a bit standoffish and sort of up close. DeSantis is um, more wooden than either of them and more socially awkward. And, and people behind the scenes say that about him as well. It's not just that he gets uh, stiffens up in public. He uh, doesn't have much time. Uh, for small talk behind the scenes, he's not considered even by people who like his policies to be particularly um, over-endowed with personal charm. But he is trying to overcome that by, firstly, there's a lot of money behind him, secondly, the vigor of his conservative positions, and thirdly, the idea that he's a more electable alternative to Trump. Yes, and I mean, he wants, and he said in a speech this week, the Republican Party to move more to the right. Now, from where we watch, from our perspective in Europe, mm. it doesn't seem possible that you could get to the right of Donald Trump. But clearly, mm. that's a kind of generalization. That on certain things, Trump is almost non-ideological, isn't he? Yeah, and that's what DeSantis is really getting at. DeSantis is trying to suggest that Trump doesn't have a fixed uh, ideology, which I think is a, is an accurate charge. But yeah. I mean, Trump, while in office, obviously pursued very conservative policies. The issue that DeSantis hones in on in particular, well, I guess there are two. One is the abortion issue. DeSantis signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida. Yes. Very, very restrictive move. Frankly, uh, unpopular with the electorate at large, but popular, of course, with the so-called religious right, who are quite a formidable force in Republican primaries. Trump, even though he nominated the Supreme Court justices who undid the constitutional right to abortion, has been vague of late as to what exactly he would do, whether he would support a national ban and that sort of thing. He has even been vague on the six-week abortion ban in Florida, where, of course, Trump lives these days. And DeSantis has hit him on that. The other point, briefly, that DeSantis is, is hitting Trump on is this weird feud that DeSantis is in with the Disney Corporation. Disney came out against a bill 
that it considered to be anti-trans that DeSantis had passed. Uh, Trump has said that DeSantis' actions in that regard were a political stunt, and DeSantis is jabbing back over that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now another entrant in the race is highly unlikely to become president, but Chris Christie is an interesting Republican. He is a former governor of New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. In fact, he beat the Democrats there twice. Mm-hmm. And as a Republican who can beat Democrats, he has his own value. He was close to Trump when Trump first ran for the 2016 presidency. They fell out, but he's in the race now. Is there any significance in it either way? There is some significance, though I don't think he's a likely winner of the Republican nomination because I think he's too moderate. But the significance of it really is that Christie is entering the race, as far as anyone can tell, specifically as an anti-Trump candidate. And by that I mean many steps further in opposition to Trump than DeSantis or other candidates like Nikki Haley or Tim Scott have positioned themselves. Christie has a a very checkered relationship with Trump, which we can go into if you like, although it would take a while. (laughs) The, The point is he's now very vehemently opposed to Trump, has described him as Putin's puppet for his attitudes in Ukraine, has called Trump's 2024 campaign a vanity exercise. So Christie, who is a talented uh, debater, seems more likely than anyone else 
to take Trump on very aggressively, and, and we'll have to see how that pans out. Yeah, when did the Republican debates begin? August. To denomination debates. So they're not, we're not far off. No, and, no, the first debate's August sometime. Yeah, Trump yeah. has stated or hinted that he mightn't enter the first two and let the others fight it out. And the other belief is that the more Republicans, and we know Mike Pence is going to declare next week, the more Republicans that he's got to take on, the more the anti-Trump vote will divide and the better for him. Yes, exactly. That's right. Because the Trump base is so fervently behind him that it is perceived to be almost impossible to split those people off or to erode their support for Trump. Now, those people who are the absolutely, you know, Trump or die people are maybe 35%-ish of the Republican electorate. But of course, if the other 65% gets uh, split between, uh, you know, five, six credible candidates, then that obviously helps Trump a great deal. Back in 2016, Eamon, uh, that's essentially what happened. It was a 17-person field at the start. Trump was winning primaries with 25, 30% of the vote. And once he got rolling, no one could stop him. And no one emerged as a, as a central, um, as a central figure, as the Trump alternative until it was too late. No, and among the, that field was Jeb Bush, who was from the, the Bush dynasty, as it were, and had been governor, I think, of Florida. Yes. Mm-hmm. And was regarded as, you know, a favorite at one stage to get the Republican nomination. Yes, and went nowhere because he was, uh, yeah, he was perceived as a sort of establishment candidate at a time when the electorate didn't want that. And of course, Trump famously tagged him as low energy Jeb, which, like a lot of Trump (laughs) nicknames, had quite a strong element of truth in it. And uh, that was the end of that. Jeb Bush spent about a hundred million on that campaign, and and went absolutely nowhere. Now, the Trump appeal, Niall, he's in trouble again this week because a tape has emerged which is embarrassing for him, particularly for the legal case that's been, or the investigations by the prosecutor from the Department of Justice, Jack Smith, the investigations into the classified material that he held on to and kept at Mar-a-Lago and refused to hand over. He said and has argued he didn't know he was doing anything wrong and that he had the power as a president, a former president, to declassify them himself. A tape has emerged showing that he that's not what he really believed, that he actually said he, he couldn't tell the two mm. people that were talking to him who are writing an autobiography of a horrible person called Mark Meadows, who was last chief of staff, chief of staff on January 6th, 2021, for example, the last Trump chief of staff. And in books I've read about this, he emerges as a weak and rather shallow placeman. However, he's having an autobiography written. This is a grave embarrassment. Trump, two weeks ago, was convicted of assault, a sexual assault, on a woman in New York, no matter what happens to him in these sort of matters, there is also stuff about not paying his taxes for 57 years. It doesn't matter, does it, to the guys who like him? 
It, it doesn't. It doesn't appear to do so. No, I mean certainly after those charges were leveled against him in New York. I'm speaking here of the uh, falsification of business records charges, the hush yes. money case with Stormy Daniels. His poll ratings, if anything, went up slightly in the aftermath of that. The sexual assault thing, just to clarify for any listeners who are wondering why he doesn't face a jail time, that was a civil trial in which he was held liable for damages for yes. uh, the sexual uh, abuse of a woman by the name of Five e. million dollars. Uh, yes, that's correct, for a woman by the name of E. Jean Carroll. And this most latest development is an embarrassment for him. And, and I mean, you described it very well. It undercuts the central Trump defense, that defense being, well, I declassified everything anyway. The apparent topic under discussion in this tape recording was basically who within the administration wanted to attack Iran and who didn't. And Trump argued that the a very senior military person, General Mark Milley. Yes, and was, a very respected military mm, person, yes. Yeah. It, Trump was basically contending in this conversation that Milley's version of events was wrong. And as far as we know, because this is all based on secondhand reporting, as far as we know, Trump said, in, in essence, I could show you, you know, this document, but I, this document would prove my point, but I can't show it to you because it's restricted. If he said that or something like that, it would appear to vaporize the argument that he believed things to have been declassified. Yes, and he also said this week and has said on other occasions that as president or indeed as a former president, he can declassify things in his mind. In other words, mm. he doesn't need to do anything. <laughs> he can just think, I'm declassifying this. <laughs> he actually has said this on a number yep. of occasions. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, bizarre. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm, only, I'm asking you to go ahead to explain to me what the 35% of Republicans or Americans, indeed, who seem to favor him back in yeah. the White House, are thinking about a guy who can make decisions in his head, tell nobody, until it's convenient. Yeah, I mean, it is, an, uh, frankly, an absurd argument, that idea that you can declassify things by thinking them to be declassified, <laughs> that it would be declassified even if you had not told anyone. I mean, it will not surprise you to learn that there is a whole declassification process. You can't just take, I don't know, spy photos of Iran's nuclear facilities and declassify them in your mind. That's not how it works. Um, you know, the people who support him, I just don't think they care particularly. I mean, yeah. the, the, one of the reasons I think his support is so rock solid, Eamon, is that it's, it's a peculiar dynamic. I think those people, the absolute diehards, think that any negative information about him is automatically motivated by bad faith or a desire yes. to do him in. And so it is almost instantly discounted by those people. Yeah, it's a thing that Boris Johnson has as well. No matter how many lies he tells or how many, what shall I call them, mm. not very nice things he does. Sure. There's a lot of Tory grassroots people who want him back to lead the party. And I must ask you about the Democrats in all of this, in the light of Joe Biden's unfortunate fall last night. Mm. Of course, everyone is happy that he's not suffered any injury, just embarrassment. Where are the Democrats in terms of an alternative to Joe Biden? Because as you said, that people have been asking, even before last night, 
about, you know, this man will be 86, I think, mm -hmm. when his next term as president was over. Mm. That's some age. Now, some people, you know, are fine. I mean, Trump, for example, isn't all that younger. But he's not a robust 80, is he? He's not, no. And in fact, to your point, that poll that I mentioned earlier when we were talking about Biden's fall indicated that, that the American public at large do acknowledge actually that Trump is more vigorous. I mean, there was a question in that poll, do you think someone has the mental acuity? To be president, and Trump scored better than uh, than Biden did in that in that regard. It is a problem for Democrats. The age thing is a concern. One of Biden's saving graces, honestly, is that there isn't a really compelling alternative. Yes. You know, you think back. This isn't a point about health grounds, but you think back to two thousand and eight, where Hillary Clinton was the presumed nominee, and then Obama came along, and he was such a charismatic figure and all of that. There isn't anyone approximating that in democratic politics at the moment. Vice President Kamala Harris has quite significant political liabilities. Yes. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is maybe shaping up uh, or shaping up himself as an alternative, but there are doubts about him as well. He's a sort of stereotypical West Coast rich guy, honestly, who's not perceived to play yeah. very well in those key Rust Belt states. Yes. The other alternative is maybe Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, who has some political skills, but um, I've never been all that uh, impressed with Buttigieg. No, he doesn't have the X factor, the charisma factor, does he? Mm, the no. long-term future for the Democrats looks rather bleak now. And... I wonder what you think about this. Should the Republicans take the White House next autumn? Mm. They could have it for quite some time. And mm. America then, in the hands of Trump or DeSantis, it would be, you know, isolationist, possibly, probably. Mm. It would also be extremely right-wing. It would be hostile to NATO, it would dump Ukraine overnight. I mean, when Trump was asked in that CNN town hall last week about who he wanted to be victorious in this Russia, in this Putin-Zelensky conflict, he said he didn't care. Mm. And as for the debt ceiling, he said America should default, which these are extraordinary things to say. I mean, if America yeah. defaulted, it would be catastrophic for America and for the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. It would echo instantly through the whole global financial system with terrible effects. Uh, it's interesting you raised the point about the length of time Republicans could potentially hold the White House because one of the arguments that Ron DeSantis is making on this first week on the campaign trail is that if people nominated him and he were elected, he could, of course, serve eight years, yes. potentially. Where Trump would, assuming he doesn't uh, abandon the Constitution, tr Trump would be limited to one more term, which would be a f four more years of Trump. I, I mean, eight years of DeSantis, which is what DeSantis is selling, would very significantly move the United States, both on the international arena in the way that you just outlined, and domestically. I mean, DeSantis, for example, uh, took great exception to a academic course in African-American history uh, a while ago because he contended that certain things uh, shouldn't be taught 
And yes. there's a whole issue in Florida of book bannings and so forth. Yes. There's the LGBT issue. So, I mean, eight years of a DeSantis presidency, or for that matter, four years of a Trump presidency, would unquestionably move America in a very, very uh, significant way. And I think to circle back or to connect this to the point where we started off, that's one of the reasons why Democrats and left of center Americans generally are so worried about Biden's age and frailty and yes. political vulnerability. There's no one else? No. Right. Okay, Niall. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm very grateful to you indeed, Niall Stanich, Associate Editor of The Hill and White House Columnist for The Hill. We're grateful to Niall, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>